we don't we don't believe in any way, shape, or form that any of us corners the market on the work that we do. And in fact, when we're able to elevate and partner and work with and support brothers and sisters that are doing similar work that we're doing, uh, we're all better as a result of it. So uh, excited about this conversation this evening. I'm about to bring uh, Malik in, even as you all are coming in. What's up? What's up? Let's see. All right. Hey, brother. Hello. 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 How you doing? Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, COVID free at the moment. I'm doing okay. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. I'm I'm more I'm more yeah, worried yeah. about getting caught by the police than I am COVID. Hey, um, you know that's a real thing, man. That's very real. No, we it, know. it is. Um, but 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 listen, man. I'm I'm excited about what you're doing. Um. And, you know, for those that, that are still unfamiliar, because we're really only a week from our launch of Men Thrive, where our real goal is to, to disrupt similar to, to what you are doing, the behavioral health space, because we recognize that in the behavioral health space, and, and you're going to be able to explain this better than I can, but, but in the behavioral health space, we're, we're recognizing that um, so much of the clinical approaches don't have us in mind. And so whether yeah. it's how clinicians are trained, whether it is the information and the data that they're using, or even when we think about the tools that exist around behavioral health broadly, um, not being designed for us. And on top of that, a narrative that in many cases uh, makes a lot of black men in particular feel like the entire behavioral health industry is about pacifying you and making you weak as opposed to preparing you to be your strongest self. And so all of that, we're attempting to disrupt more through a cultural lens um, by disrupting some existing narrative, by providing uh, behavioral health tools that are specifically designed for black men with some level of cultural in, in, intentionality. Um, and frankly, um, connecting folks through some of our partners to therapy. So uh super excited about our conversation but um you know when, when you say the whole brother project um i i, I think that there, there, there's something there's something that is important about this nature of being whole and when you say whole brother um i'm curious about how you're defining that because so often wholeness is a destination, right? Mm -hmm. But but there is a, a clear pathway towards that. And I'm curious is, is even as you're defining that in the work that you're doing, uh, how do you how do you talk about this notion of wholeness and and the work that has to be done to getting to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So in our initial conversations before we launched, I had to think through that question with others as well. And the way I think that I can describe it is wholeness isn't perfection, but it is optimum health. Because I think a lot of guys will hear it and think, well, man, it just means I got to be perfect. We know that being perfect can't happen, but there is a point, I think, that is optimum health. That isn't perfection, but it is being in a good spot to steward the things that you're responsible for, meaning you, uh, your children, and if you're in a relationship, your significant other. Um, so so stewarding those things properly is, is being in, in a healthy space. The three areas we focus on to, to get to that level of wholeness are the head, 
the heart and the hands. And once again, these three areas won't make life perfect, but we think it's a, a good foundation. The head is mental health. The heart is emotional maturity and the hands is professional investment. So that's kind of having a stream of income, having your emotions together and being stable in terms of your mental health, whatever state your mental health is in. And, and tell me a little bit about the network, because I, I, I know that as we as as both men and women start thinking about accessing therapy or even considering accessing therapy, um, they don't often know how to find black cl clinicians. Uh, and more than that, because every black clinician isn't trained to effectively treat um, some of the compounded uh, trauma and unique kind of environmental realities of, of a lot of black folks. And so when when folks are thinking about identifying therapists, uh, just just before we even dive into the discussion, talk to me a little bit about why you decided to become a therapist and a little bit about this network um, of, of therapists that, that you all have developed. Yeah. So I want to I want to be clear. I am in a doctoral program in counseling right now, but I'm, I myself am not a, a therapist. I typically reserve it for the people that I have personal relationship with, but I don't do it professionally. I manage the organizational side of things in terms of our nonprofit, the hope of the mission. So I manage a network of licensed therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists and so on and so forth. And basically what we do is we have a, a large network of mental health professionals across the country of color, mostly African-American men and women. And what we do is we allow uh, members from any part of the country, the 50 contiguous United, uh, the 50 uh, states of the United States uh, to reach out to us. And then we can connect them to a therapist in their, in their area, specifically for, for men. Men of color is our focus, black men is our focus, but we're not gonna turn away any anybody based on their race, of course. But that we do put an emphasis on that because we do know the uniqueness of the mental health dynamic in black families. It's not quite the same as white families. So we'll connect them with a therapist in their area based on our network. And if there's a situation where there is financial need, we cover the fees. So our, our main focus as being a nonprofit is offering this service to, to, black, to black men. Uh, it's not really financial gain, but of course, we don't have endless funds, so you know we can't cover everybody. But that is that is what we do. We we fundraise. We work within uh, school systems to try to make these systems available, or these services available to, to men across the country. And I wanna I wanna point out that a part of what we want to do is to destigmatize this idea that the black men uh, may often feel that it's not okay to seek the help. And then some often think that we actually don't pursue it. And we can get to get to this later, why we why some of us don't. I think that's a very real thing. But I want to highlight the fact that 90% of the men that are reaching out to us are black men between the ages of 20 and 25. And some might not think that that could be the case, but I do think that points to a generational shift where it's more normal. So as, so as a man, say I'm not okay and not have to have bravado all the time because I do know that even as I grew up, there was this idea of black people don't have time to go to therapy. You don't have time to be depressed. As a man, you can't be weeping and you can't vent to the woman you're with. So I know that some of those ideas may have existed, but it seems as if though they're faded away because we have a lot of young guys coming to us saying, hey, I need to talk to somebody. And of course, there's been a spike because of these uh 
occurrences with, with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery? Well, I mean, brothers, brothers are stressed out. I mean, we, we have that. We some of the highest levels of, of toxic stress, of of anxiety, of depression, of, and we know that we have the lowest life life expectancy of, of any group, any demographic group in the United States of America. So, now we we didn't need COVID or the current um, rebellion. In fact, I I would be willing to to say that there are a lot of folks in in this moment that despite the heaviness of, of what's happening as a result of um, seeing these videos over and over again, there's a level of power that comes from rebellion. There's a level of power that mm -hmm. comes from, um, from protest. There's a level of power that comes from shifting narrative. And I know a lot of brothers that even though they're exhausted in this moment, they feel more empowered in the midst of this rebellion than they did when it wasn't going on because yeah. a whole lot of them are saying, damn it, at least I feel like there's a focus for all this anger and right. that my anger is okay and it's validated. And it doesn't mean that I feed it and live in it, but it does mean that I don't feel like I'm crazy. And so, I mean, I, I think these, these are important things. And, and as you all talk about why you decided to focus on black men because uh, I can tell you right now, as as we're engaging, there are a ton of people that said, don't do it, um, especially if you have any desire to make money. Um, the, the, the demographic that has the greatest potential is not black men. And so why don't you do people of color? Why don't you do a broad general market play? And I'm curious about why you all decided to to engage in this space where you felt like your mission was for black men. And then if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about what you think is the difference um, generationally that, that, that uh, allows you to see uh, a larger percentage of, of individuals coming from, from that millennial demographic and potentially even Z, Z. Uh, Z. Yeah. yeah. So I would say first in terms of why specifically black men, I feel like oftentimes they're depending on what setting you're in, there is this question of focusing on black specific, having black specific things. I remember a comedian, Amanda Seals, who's on the show Insecure, she often talks about how she has this tour that she goes around the country doing called Smart Funny and black and it was supposed to be a show but she mentioned how the executives were like well, you know maybe just call it smart and funny just take out the black you know and all the time you know we're encouraged to not focus on black or to generalize things and say people of color which is a term i don't really prefer to use but it, it gets the message across sometimes but i think the black experience is very it's very unique it's a unique experience that's not the same as hispanic folks it's not the same as asian folks all those within themselves are very different. So terms like people of color, I don't think get the message across when you're talking about issues. I've lived my life as a as a black man, and I've seen anecdotally a lot of things that have concerned me over the years. The same cycles, and I think a lot of those cycles go back to uh, fathering, which we'll uh, can talk about in, in the book later. Uh, but it has to do with what is normal for you as a man and who's setting the tone for you on what masculinity is. And I find that oftentimes, if we aren't taught what that looks like from our father, we a lot of us, you know, grow up 
taking cues from guys on hip hop because they have a lot of attention on them. And I appreciate hip hop for a lot of different aspects, right? But I will admit it's not necessarily the best place. It hasn't been historically, I think, for some, the best place to create progressive dialogue about dealing with deep emotional and mental health issues. Um, I'm not going to dismiss that and say it's not happening at all, but it has kind of put an emphasis on the exterior rather than the interior in some instances, not everybody. And I think the result of that has kind of been uh, us not really take feeling as though it's okay to deal with some of that deep and internal work. A more tangible example, I would say, is, you know, all of us can think of times we've had relationship issues and I remember one that their person on our team pointed out that when they're counseling married couples, oftentimes the guy, you know, may be an infidelity. And the end goal may be to just get back in her good graces. But that forgiveness is a focus. But a lot of times guys jump to the end goal, but haven't taken the time to assess what got you here in the first place. Well, what caused you to cheat? What caused you to entertain the other woman or whatever the case may be? And those are more internal work questions that oftentimes we might not feel comfortable answering. And then one more thing I'll add to that, as far as my experience to kind of point me in this direction, I worked in university life quite a bit. I was dean, so I had to do the discipline when students got in trouble. And most times it was at white schools, but there were black students there. And most times they were the athlete, football and basketball players. And I've had these brothers end up in my office for infractions. And a lot of times I, I end up having to play the disciplinarian, but also ended up having to play the therapist role too. Because a lot of times what they get in trouble for is much deeper than just the infraction. It's something at home that wasn't resolved. So I had to wear two different hats time and time again. Unfortunately, in my office was the first time that some of these guys began to speak about some of these issues out loud or process through it. Well, and, the, and, and I think that's there's unfortunate. Always, there's always that, a challenge. That, there's always a challenge when you're black in predominantly white institutions on what the hell is yeah. an infraction anyway. And so while mm -hmm. while there's clearly deep rooted issues, we also know that from kindergarten on. Um, that the very processing of who black men are is often misunderstood. And so there is yeah. a, the, one, one of the traumas that we're, we're ultimately dealing with is the fact that by and large, there is a huge contingent of people in this world that don't understand our beauty. And so how we mm -hmm. communicate, how we talk, how we engage, um, how we show up is either through folklore or through intentional uh, academic misleading is about lifting up the bestiality of black men. And so whether it is the myth that we can't show emotion in order to be viewed as strong, which means that we, we suppress some of our humanity in the name of not being attacked or whether it's the reality that people are stripping that humanity from us uh, by calling us a threat just because we walk outside. And so it's happened yeah. generation after generation after generation. I, I think about my father's generation um, for, for brothers who were in corporate America that never would wear hair on their face. 
because a black man with a beard or a goatee is threatening brothers that yeah. would intentionally reduce the bass in their voice because they they wanted to ensure that they didn't make a white male or in some cases a white female counterpart feel insecure. And, and so even this notion of, of wearing the mask and code switching in some cases is around burden because it says I can't show up as myself and be seen as beautiful. I can't show up as myself and be seen brilliant. I have to show up as less than me so that you can take me. And that in itself um, carries a psychological burden. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always uh, somewhat skeptical of, of any formal uh, process that's about evaluating our behavior as acceptable or not. Because when I'm mm -hmm. looking at, whether I'm looking at a college or university or whether I'm looking at a, 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 a K through 12, we in many cases are labeled as deviant um, when other white kids are labeled as rambunctious. And so Absolutely. You, you and I both know you've got, it's been overly reported about kids that are six and seven and eight years old being handcuffed uh, and being led out of classrooms to police officers. And, if, and, and unless you unless you are an elementary school student with a gun, there's absolutely no reason you should be being escorted out of a classroom by a police officer. Um, when by and large, what's probably happening is nobody is assessing the human needs that you have, um, that you're processing through the lens of a baby. And so I just, I, I think that as we think about um, so much of this, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this whole notion of the black family. And as we think about um, the, the, the evolution of, I, I say the evolution of because it speaks to where we are versus where we've been and where we can be versus where we are. And as we think about the evolution of the black family, how does that play into the work that you do as you're targeting men? Yeah. So I want to make it clear that I use the example of, uh, you know, Muhammad University space, which is, which were white schools, but definitely with the focus of the over the mission. Uh, I think it's important to be able to have conversations about black life and the black family with no proximity to whiteness, because I do think that causes us to have to temper the dialogue in a way that prioritizes white comfort. So I, I don't want to do that by any means. Oh, no, 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 and, and I, I, I didn't think that's, I, yeah, no, 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 and I, I didn't think that's what you were doing. You went out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you went out? No, 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 I said, I didn't think that's what you were doing. Um, okay. I just think it's important as we as we talk about discipline in particular, um, yeah. with, with where we are to be clear about what we're saying when we talk about how these systems are designed to create pathways for us. And those pathways, mm -hmm. even in college, are not towards thriving. They're towards us being systematically connected to that which can continue to control us, which is, which is why this whole notion of wholeness is crucial. Uh, because, yeah. because showing up whole, in many cases, is rebellion when, you're, when you are a black man because the parts of you that some cases are most brilliant are most misunderstood by uh, those in the world that have no interest in understanding who we are. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I agree. And in terms of the family, so I think that in many cases, the trajectory of a family is heavily dependent on the father. 
Now, I know a lot of people have different trajectories or ideas of gender role, how their household works, and that's fine. But I do believe strongly that father's involvement or lack thereof has a huge impact on the trajectory of the family as a whole, specifically his son. So this idea of a family, I think, is important because, once again, whether we realize it or not, uh, the household that you come up in is going to play a huge part into how you show up into the world. And in many cases, uh, sometimes those conversations aren't had about what you saw, what you dealt with as a child, and how that is shaping how you deal with people now. Even your romantic relationships, sometimes we don't make the connections between, well, I respond this way when someone confronts me because this is how I saw dad respond when I was seven. Sometimes we don't make the connection. But those things are connected. So by publishing the idea of just having general conversation uh, about some of these things rather than suppressing them. So in addition to the idea of therapy for Black men, uh, we wanted to also create resources for people that aren't necessarily open to sitting down with a therapist. So we decided to publish a book. Uh, the book is Whole Brother, Debunking the Myths and Break the Black Family. Uh, and I've had contributions from some of our therapists and I've pinned it. And I think that when it comes to myths that break the black family, ultimately it's going back to this idea of how we view things as men and how that then, if we are embracing these myths, they end up breaking our family. So for instance, uh, yeah. So I'll say one of the myths is uh, that uh, emotions are for women. Once again, a lot of times we associate emotion generally outside of anger. If it's not anger, we a lot of times we associate emotions with us being feminine rather than realizing that emotions are a human thing and that's really a feminine thing. And because of that, we end up creating scenarios that I think rob us of our humanity and put us in a very difficult position because we're not able to express the breadth of who we are because of these ideas of masculinity but not necessarily true. So when it comes to, if that's happening to you on a personal level, if you then have a wife, girlfriend, daughter, son, and you're the person who's thinking that emotions full stop are feminine, then you're gonna suppress those when you're dealing with others. Well, and the funny, thing, and the funny thing about it is that as, as much as I agree with you, that, that it's a, that's a, a, a permeating narrative. The funny thing is that brothers being their feelings way more all the time <laughs> so and, and part of it is because yeah. we because we suppress it so much that the moment we're triggered um we 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 our our, our expression of it may be dysfunctional but, but mm -hmm. we we are in our feelings so much more often because we haven't dealt with it and because right. we haven't navigated it and because we haven't embraced it um as what makes us as what makes us human. And, and the reality too, is that it's, it's never about, do we have emotion or not? It's about how do we manage those and, exactly. and our very ability to acknowledge them. And in turn, to your point, acknowledging our humanity is one thing. The second is how am I embracing those and feeding them or not? Right? Because there's so many of us men and women um, that as, a, as opposed to, to confronting uh, some some negative energy and negative emotion will will feed it in a hot second with the songs that we listen to with the conversations that we have with the unwillingness to do the work um, 
all of those realities. And so I, I think your point is, is well taken. What I'm wondering in, as you, as you process that through the lens of the family and how men show up in the family. And I, and I just think it's important to say too, I mean, I, I, I have five kids. I've got, I've got a daughter who's my oldest and I have four sons. And, and I will tell you clearly that I don't think that there is a reality where young women need their fathers more or less than young men. Young men are framing their identity of what men are similarly, similarly as young women. And so when I think about the, my successes and my failures as a father with my daughter, um, how she is going to go into the world dealing, how she goes into the world, frankly, at 21, um, how she's in the world dealing with men, how she's navigating personal relationships, how she's navigating romantic relationships, how she's, how she's processing what an acceptable way to talk to a woman is, how she yeah. is processing what her expectation is for what a man should and should not do if he values her. All of that is not fully predicated on her relationship with me, but I set the foundation for that. And so as my daughter and I, even at 21, still have date night, um, it's because I don't ever want her to be in a space where she is starving for the attention of a young man. And, yeah. and that is set by me adoring her, not just loving her, not just raising her, not just being responsible for her. I adore her. And in my adoration of her, she understands what adoration looks like versus what somebody fiending after you looks like. And mm -hmm. she gets enough fiending because in many cases that that is uh, the emotional capacity of a lot of brothers as they engage her. But in teaching her what um, adoration looks like, there is a full appreciation for um, her, her total brilliance without wanting to take something from her. Um, so, so you're right. Um, the, the, the balancing act of parental engagement our boys need their mothers as much as they need their fathers, as do, as do our, our baby girls. And I think as we begin to process that in a way that is not about parental competition, but, but yeah. the, the fullness of what it means to be raised and developed, it's, uh, it's super important. And, and I, saw, um, uh, I saw one of my brothers say, we got to give that adoration to the moms too. It's incredibly important. I, I, mm -hmm. I, um, I'm in my second marriage and I realized probably too late that some of the, the negative some of the negative relationship that I had with my ex-wife put me in a space where in order to get along, I just never said anything about yeah. their mother uh, to them. And I thought that was positive because no news is good news. You don't have anything to say, <laughs> don't say anything. Um, and what it did was I literally put them in a space where they never heard me affirm her, their mother. And yeah. so it was incredibly difficult for them to even embrace um, my, my current wife. Cause I never, I never, never really had any other women around them. Um, because it's like, well, damn it, daddy, if, if, if you ain't 
bigging up mom, why I'm gonna big up this lady? Mm-hmm. And so that there is so much psychologically that we are passing on to our children, uh, not only through what we're teaching them, but what we're doing. And, and I'm, I, I'm thankful that even in, in this stage, uh, the relationship that I have with my ex-wife is better than it's ever been before. And in that, in that repaired relationship, in that space where I am, um, even, even in our divorce state, um, in, in a place where I'm lifting her up, where I'm, I'm uh, expressing a level of concern for her to my kids and, and expressing um, a, a, a space where I'm attempting to feed what it is that she's doing. Uh, I notice a difference in how my kids are able to feel. And so as, as, mm-hmm. as men, as we think about this whole notion of family, just because of the nature of a lot of our families, uh, sometimes we will abandon the responsibility of one part of a blended family in order to say that we're doing well in another part of that. And, and that goes back yeah. to, I think, your point about us desiring to do the comprehensive work. Um, mm-hmm. Part of the comprehensive work is fix my shit, not, yeah. not fix my stuff over here so it looks great and hide this stuff over here so, so that nobody sees it. It's how do I do the comprehensive work? And so um, I appreciate Mr. Goals AF for, for mentioning that whole notion of adoration to moms because uh, yeah. that, that is about whether you're with the mom or not. And that's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, will go even further, I will go even further to say that even before getting to the myths in the book, I addressed four different, four different types of fathers. Types of fathers mm-hmm. And one of them is the present of this so this, so is, this a is a father who's physically present in the home, but emotionally distant from everyone. Mm-hmm. And those are things that oftentimes we don't consider affect others in the household because some of us reduce fathering to protecting and providing. And I joking, I jokingly say in the book, the producers do that. So we need to set the bar higher for fathering beyond just protecting and providing. But how are we shepherding the emotions of everybody in the house? How are we, what type of space, are we creating a space of openness? Uh, or how are we even dealing with as a father in your house? How are you dealing with the people that you relate to outside of your house? So how do you, how do you work sure. doing that when by and large, brothers have not had that modeled? And so yeah. if, if, exactly. if I didn't see a man that was, I mean, hell, I mean, we, we just started talking about emotional IQ 15 minutes ago. And yeah. so it's not like our fathers knew you. You, 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 you if you would have yeah. went to our grandfathers, like grandpa, you not being, you don't, you, you, you got low emotional IQ. You'd have got your ass beat because right. you'd have been like, one, what the hell, you talking? What the hell are you talking about? And two, that's not how I've survived to live to be a seventy-five-year-old black man in America. And so, as we're not only challenging some of those myths, but those traditional notions of masculinity, what, what? are you recommending that men do so that they, one, also feel a sense of empowerment as they're attempting to, to navigate spaces and protect themselves, but also evolve? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so, so I, I have a layered answer. I'm gonna try to convince this and not, not for you. But I think that there's a lot of layers to that. And first, it has to, has to, us, has to be us coming to terms with something being wrong or off and actually dealing with it directly. And I, and I say that because 
I, I, I deal with this with my, with my peers, with my homeboys. Just like, hey, man, you have to deal with that issue head on. You can't just keep avoiding it. And one of the myths I discuss later in the book is distractions as a solution. And oftentimes, rather than dealing with an issue head on, you know, and in, in every other area of life, we appreciate strength and different things in the book dealing with it head on. But when it comes to personal issues, we tend to take a more passive approach. And some of us run to other things to distract us from the issue rather than dealing with it directly. And I say some of those things for some are alcohol, weed, sex, gaming. Those things distract you from the issue, but you never actually dealt with it. So first it's acknowledging that something's wrong. And then I think taking steps to deal with it, it'll look different for each. Of course, I think therapy is interesting, but I can just give you my experience. So I was raised by a mother. Uh, my dad is alive today, but has had a drug addiction for the majority of my life, man, and his. So he was not even able to be physically present because of, because of those issues. Now, some would describe me, especially with being heavy into counseling and therapy and emotional health and so on and so forth, as a somewhat stable person, um, in spite of. And I would say that I, I arrived at that point, one, I always big up the strength of black women, uh, a mom that was able to wear several hats. Uh, but also, I was blessed to have a brother who took on more of a father role as well. Not everybody has that. I'm just saying that I was in a position to have a boy feel 10 times over. I had a strong mom, a brother as a father, and several mentors who came into my life and were able to help uh, get me across the line of of man, boyhood to manhood and not everybody has that but i think uh it is possible to get it though i know it's difficult though because many of us don't like the idea of vulnerability and i think to get the benefit of uh of a father um speaking into your life helping you become a man has to first start with the vulnerability that I don't know how to do it. Another myth in the book is the idea that manhood is a natural instinct. We don't just, we're not just born knowing how to be men. We're male uh, physically, but manhood must be taught from somewhere. And I found that if we aren't intentional, if we don't have a, a dad present, or if we're not intentional about having something shape that for us, we tend to. Uh, more is taught than is taught so we end up learning indirectly i always think of one of my friends when i was much younger you know when i was coming through uh, elementary school into middle school this was around the time where little wayne was having his spike he was i'm the best rapper alive and so many guys at the time started modeling themselves after him because you saw him everywhere the women wanted him and that became the model of what a man was. And it, as you notice, he's not necessarily in the spotlight anymore. He keeps changing. So I think it's important to have an anchor in what that is so that you're not constantly adjusting with the culture. Well, I mean, and, and I think that that's, a, that's also a part of being young. Um, and, and part of being mm -hmm. young is that you are trying to figure out what you're modeling. Um, I, mm -hmm. I have 17 and 18-year-old sons, and... Um, they, they have all kinds of aspirations for who they think is cool, um, who they think is popular, who they think is smart. 
and so that's it's it's ebbing and flowing um what this whole notion of manhood means to them as they're processing that masculinity that 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 mm -hmm. those issues of masculinity and so i think seldom are there seldom are there young brothers that are at large focusing on the highest aspiration of masculinity because mm -hmm. to your point um we're going from male to boy and from boy to man and so much of that is predicated on how we're processing responsibility how we are assessing who we want to become what's that process and so i think that the i think the beautiful thing is when we're able to lift up as many examples of of manhood as possible without trying to put it in a box and yeah. and that's the challenge i think that many of us have is that we've been given a rigid kind of of image of what masculinity is and in the name of that uh then trying to follow that just mm -hmm. to be popular not to yeah. actually be a man and so but i think that i think that some of it does go back to the age thing but unfortunately you can you can see a lot of the same trends among young guys but also in older men as well especially well, no, when you, i didn't, when you I, didn't come. Mean, I didn't mean it ain't some old ass boys i'm saying that yeah <laughs> there's, a, there's an evolutionary process from mm -hmm. male to boy to man some yeah. of us just get stuck and have arrested development in that process and so no nah, there, there yeah. are clearly some grown boys or some mm -hmm. some boys that are dressed in men's clothing or men's cars right. or men's jobs uh but don't have men's character and don't have men's spirit and don't have uh legacy driven aspiration and so no nah, I, I think it's important for us not to to your point um boy is not about age boy is about how you process the world have, have you ever read um have you ever read akbar no so naim naim akbar has a book around um black men um the visions of black men is the title and okay. uh the book came out i want to say in 91 and he he's a psychologist and he dives deeply into this notion of male, boy, and man. And he clearly talks about the fact that male is simply a biological distinction, that you yeah. are born with a penis, and as a result, you are a male, um, that you are a boy because you, as a male, begin to acknowledge that there are people around you but by and large, you believe that those people are there to serve you. And when mm -hmm. you become a man, you not only recognize uh, those people in an ecosystem around you, you have a level of clarity of your responsibility to that ecosystem in order yeah. to earn the title of man. And obviously we can Good. get far more complex, right? But in a in 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 a, a fifty thousand foot high flyover, um, that was what he began to talk about as as that evolution. And so to that end, there are a ton of brothers 
that are 45-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old boys. And unfortunately, there are some 17, 18, 19-year-old trying to be men uh, because Mm -hmm. they are forced to be the man when there aren't any around. And so both of those, especially from a clinical perspective, as we talk about uh, little boys that have been robbed of their childhood um, because of breakdown of family, the reality of trauma, so on and so forth. And so let me ask you this before we get out of here. As as you think about where you want to take this mission uh, and what it is that you ultimately want to accomplish, um, what what is the next phase and how do you go from where you are to where you want to be and, and, and what's the outcome of that work? I would say two things. Uh, one is changing the cultural landscape amongst us as a community where some of these things, uh, the myths addressed in the book as far as how we view emotion and femininity and masculinity and, and fathering, some of the unhealthier aspects that we might embrace uh, that those aren't as normalized, uh, that we get to a point where it's kind of a general consensus, consensus that, no, sending a check isn't enough. You know, we, we get past that point where, where, where certain things are embraced uh, amongst the culture. But as far as organizationally, I would say that I, I'll speak for sisters at this point that time and time again, uh, even by way of having an organization that primarily serves men, we hear the stories of women a lot, whether it be single mothers that were left to maintain a family or a woman that has had several relational issues with 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 black men not pointing the finger at anybody but sisters uh time and time again can speak of experiences that they've had where we we damage them uh so i think that there are a variety of aspects to how we resolve that especially when you consider the idea of fatherlessness that does exist for some uh, i don't want to say you know there are several men that are serving their families but there are many who had a similar experience that i aware but that wasn't there. So I, I would hope that we can emerge as we grow as an organization that is providing the resources to give men an opportunity to connect with a mentor, uh, a father figure, or a therapist or a psychologist where necessary. Uh, because oftentimes there's so much red tape that keeps uh, us from getting that support. One idea could be a guy needs the help, but there's really nobody in his circle that's like a sage like figure that he can trust that is living like on a different level uh so there's sometimes there's nobody in the circle and sometimes there's a guy that may want the help but there's so much red tape with insurance and who takes what and maybe my, the only people to take my insurance are white therapists who don't understand my experience and i don't want to go to therapy to explain myself so uh so you know so many factors like that exist so hopefully we continue to fundraise and spread the message that we're doing i hope that we'll be at a point where we can become that place to say hey if you, if you need this, you need a place to kind of be vulnerable and process through some things away from the people that you're responsible for, the hope of the mission is in place. So one, thank you. I, I want to I wanna say thank you, Beam Me Up, Scotty27, for mentioning Dondre Whitfield's book. Um, <clears throat> Dondre, it, like, th- there really is a, a menu of brothers uh, who are tackling this notion of manhood, of fatherhood, of wholeness some from a behavioral health perspective, some from a cultural perspective. Um, and I love Andre. He's a good brother. 
Um, and in fact, his book is behind me. And so for, for those of you that haven't seen it, I'm not going to do that to you, man. I don't have your book in front of me, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to pitch his book. Uh, okay, there you go. Ready. There you go. There you go. Old brother, um, longer than this, black family. Number one in family health on Amazon. But I, I like Andre's too. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> Respect. No, no, no. Um, and what, what's, you know, I, I think that there, there really is this, this, this narrative shift that needs to happen around not only therapy, but behavioral health that, um, our desire is one uh, to embrace strength and we embrace strength by being able to operate in the fullness of the human experience. And so until I'm able to operate in the fullness of the human experience, I'm not as strong as I can be. Um, and, and even behavioral health tools that I think in many cases, you know, I, I think behavioral health is like going to the gym. Um, you go to the gym, you work out, uh, you, you, you do these things that you can to create a level of health and therapy is what happens when you get a trainer. There are things that you're able to work out in a way that you can't by yourself. There's spaces you're able to go that you can't by yourself. Mm -hmm. And so um, it is super important, I think, to at the very least consider it. And, and one of the things, Malik, that, that I, I heard recently is a brother told me uh, incredible, an, an incredibly self-aware statement. He said, listen, man, I just don't want shit to get worse. He said, getting better takes too much work. So I'm good. And it was heartbreaking on a number of levels because of the clarity of the statement that he was making. Um, he was not confused about the work that it was going to require him to be in a place of wholeness. He literally was saying that I would rather be this broken man than go through the pain that it is going to take for me to be whole. And I think that's a reality that we also have to acknowledge that we've got to encourage each other as brothers and sisters to, to, to understand that we don't even know how good it can be on the other side. We have yeah. no idea about how amazing life can be when our traumas are not controlling us. And frankly, with traditional, I, I think so much of it is, um, and, and I'd love to hear from some of my traditional therapists, is that so much therapy is about coping, not about thriving. And so yeah. for black people who have been coping forever anyway, why am yeah. I going to bear myself naked to cope? And I, I applaud those within the industry that understand that coping is a mechanism that is a bridge to thriving. And so it doesn't mean that we don't need coping mechanisms. Sometimes that saves us. Um, but why save us to survive versus mm -hmm. saving us to be able to live a life that is abundantly prosper prosperous? And I don't mean that from a capital expense perspective. I do from a perspective of being able to walk in the fullness of who we are in a sense of power that is having the freedom to imagine and to manifest every reason for which I was put on earth. And that right. is what I actually believe uh, both behavioral health and therapy is, has helped me with. It is how do I remove all of the things that are attempting to prevent me from getting to the space where I am fully walking in the reason for which I was put on this earth. 
And so I'm, I'm so thankful, Malik, for um, the opportunity to have the conversation. Thank you so much for writing Thank this you. book. Um, let people know again where they can reach you. And we know we can, we know we can get whole brother debunking the myths that break the black family on Amazon. Uh, but where else can they see some of you all's um, content and information? Yeah, so our website is wholebrothermission.com. That's W-H-O-L-E, brothermission.com. And you can get, if you want a signed copy with a, a note, personal note, you can get that on the website as well. Amazon wouldn't have that. It's also available in Kindle. And if you're interested in um, seeking therapy for yourself, we're open and available. Just contact us on the website through the Get Help tab. In addition to that, with all that's going on with Ahmad and George and Rihanna, uh, there's this emphasis on supporting black orgs so uh, we do the work that we do with the point with the emphasis on building up the black community but also that that takes funding and support so i would encourage you if you're available if you're in a position to do so uh, support us at hopeofthemission.com forward slash donate that's awesome and and, and i want to i want to talk to you further about some of the stuff that we're doing um Men Thrive is is not doing therapy because we don't have therapists that are providing that therapy. Um, mm -hmm. But we are attempting to create a community where we're looking at behavioral health and behavioral health tools through the specific lens of black men. So we're developing yeah. guided meditations. If you go to if you go to menthrive.com now, uh, there are several guided meditations that you can have access to, uh, as well as uh, a, a podcast that is less about behavioral health heavy and more about how are we chronicling the stories and the voices of men who are attempting to live lives where they're thriving versus surviving. Um, so let's celebrate as many of those organizations as possible. Uh, yeah. Peace and love to my brother, David Johns, uh, who, yes, mentioned Tony McKay, McDay, excuse me, and Nina Pop, uh, who also uh, our names that we need to lift, as well as Ayana, um, because that Mark Lamont Hill and I talked earlier today about this notion that we shouldn't be competing to list the names of those that have been taken from us, uh, that we need to do a better job of lifting all of the names of our brothers and sisters. So we get to a point where we don't have to ask what category of blackness do they fit in? We understand mm -hmm. that they're our brothers and sisters regardless of how they identify with any part of who they are. They are our brothers and our sisters. And the closer that we get to that, the more we will truly be unified in our attempt to provide ourselves with freedom and power versus using mechanisms of white supremacy to have power in arguing with each other. Uh, and that, that, that in itself is some therapy that we need to have. Uh, so yeah. I, um, I appreciate you all. Uh, this, this was not a conversation with a ton of people. It is Friday night and mm -hmm. folks is looking for lives where they can turn up <laughs> as, <laughs> right. as opposed to lives around behavioral health. But we recognize that we got to keep pushing and share this information every opportunity we have. Uh, so one by one, we get better. So Malik, again, I say thank you so much, brother, for the opportunity. Thank you. And uh, we'll continue to talk. That's it. Sounds right, good. Sean. Thank you again, Jeff. Absolutely.